It would be easy for us in the world in which we live with its 24-hour news cycle, with billions upon billions of cameras that are recording everything that happens from your grandchildren's birthday to violent things going on around the world. It would be easy for us to believe that we have the big picture, that we know everything that's going on in the world, right? We have that kind of technology. Unfortunately, that kind of technology, as helpful as it may be in some regards, misses the big picture because it seldom can find and see and record and communicate what God is doing in the world. Isn't that right? All too often, what God is doing, his big picture is left out of the news that we see, the social media that we follow. Today's text from the Bible, from Luke's Gospel, if you want to begin turning there from chapter 19, today's text is an opportunity for us to get a glimpse of that big picture. For us to be able to see what God has been doing and continues to do which is all too often missed by so many. Luke chapter 19. Jesus had begun making his way, as we read earlier in the service, resolutely headed towards Jerusalem, making his way there for the last time. He had traveled south along the Jordan River and had crossed over the river and had gone through Jericho on his way up through the Judean wilderness toward Jerusalem. And the people that were traveling with him were absolutely convinced that the kingdom of God was about to appear. It was going to appear at once. This was the, the climax that the generations of Israel had been waiting for for hundreds of years. Many of them were convinced of that. So Jesus tr goes through Jericho. It's uh, one of those blind man healings that takes place there, followed by Luke's version of the parable of the talents. This is the, the, the in, in Luke, it's, it's Minas, a, about a three-month amount of money that uh, in this parable was given to various people, and they were left with the charge of doing something with it, make, with it making it multiply. In that parable, Jesus also talks about a person who has been made king of another country. So that's the parable, that's the conversation that's going on in the journey as they're headed towards Jerusalem. So we pick up the story in Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. After Jesus had said this, this parable of the Minas, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Tie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Or, excuse untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, 
the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road, uh, the first red carpet. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Exciting words, aren't they? Now, it's obvious to us that Jesus has made some fairly detailed plans for his final entry into Jerusalem. He's arranged with some friends to borrow their donkey for a few hours. The disciples, I suspect, weren't given the entire big picture of what was going to happen that day. Jesus just told them what they needed to know. Go and find this unridden donkey and untie it and bring it back. And if they ask, this is your answer. You know, that's what they needed to know to do their part on this phenomenal day. Jesus, on the other hand, it's becoming clearer and clearer, knew the big picture. He knew the whole story. He knew exactly what he was intending to do. This was the moment in history when he was going to proclaim himself to be the Messiah, to be the King of Israel. The donkey was going to be a star, though. (laughs) It was his mode of transportation. But it was more than just that. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. We read it earlier from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. Ephraim is one of the tribes of Israel. He's going to take away their their tanks. Their weapons of war. He is going to take away the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. He's taking away the chariots. He's taking away the war horses. He's he's going to break the battle bow. What kind of a king is this? It's disarming his army. He goes on to... Zechariah goes on to say he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Zechariah, writing hundreds of years before Christ, gives us, gives Jesus this bold messianic prophecy that Jesus chooses to very intentionally fulfill on that Palm Sunday. The donkey indicates, as Fred pointed out, that Jesus was coming as a king not of destruction and devastation. He's coming as a king of love and peace. I say Jesus is coming as a king of love and peace. 
Those who were expecting the Messiah to come as a military conqueror were obviously missing the point. They had missed the meaning of Zechariah's prophecy. But somehow, Zechariah, hundreds of years before, had been able to see the big picture. How do you suppose Zechariah got the big picture about the king of peace? That would be God telling him what to say, wouldn't it? This has always been God's plan. This is not a last-minute change. This is what God has been working towards from the beginning of creation. So Jesus' grand entry was a thing that, that brought about cheers of praise and adulation, but it was also an extraordinarily dangerous and courageous event, wouldn't you say? Jesus was, for the first time, intentionally shining a huge spotlight on himself. Jesus is saying, look at me, I'm the king, I have arrived. And he knew that making such a bold statement would bring down the wrath of both the Romans who occupied Jerusalem and Israel and all of the Jewish authorities whose headquarter was the temple and headquarters was the temple in Jerusalem. You know, he may have been dropping hints for the last three years, but now he's come out of the shadows to say and to do things that very clearly proclaim him to be the king, the king of peace. This is a big picture moment, wouldn't you say? If there's any confusion about who Jesus came to be, he's, he's putting it to rest as he enters Jerusalem on a donkey. He's boldly proclaiming that he is the king of peace. How many times over the last three years had Jesus left town after town when the crowds got to be too big? He didn't want to be the center of attention for that long. He had told people not to tell anyone else about the fabulous miracles that he had worked for them. He had answered questions with more questions, leaving an awful lot of people confused. But now at the very end, he proclaims himself to be the king of peace. And he does it in no uncertain terms, wouldn't you say? There's a crowd of people that are gathered around Jesus that have been coming towards Jerusalem for days and days and maybe weeks. A group of disciples, Luke identifies them, a larger crowd of disciples who are loudly praising God for, it says here, for all the miracles they have seen. If you were the recipient of a miracle, or if you had seen a miracle performed, wouldn't you be saying, praise God? If you were a leper who was now walking, if you were a blind person now seeing, wouldn't you say, praise God? And that's exactly what they were doing. And they were borrowing words from Psalm 118. That was the psalm that was in their mind. The words they borrow are these, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118 also include, concludes with a description of people waving boughs in hand, joining in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. And that's exactly what they were doing, and that's exactly what we were commemorating this morning with our palms. 
But Psalm 118 also speaks of the stone the builders rejected becoming the cornerstone. How easy is it to shout and praise because of all the powerful miracles that God has worked in our midst? How easy it is to shout Hosanna, Hallelujah, for the God who demonstrates himself in convincing power. But Jesus came on a donkey. This was the lowly part of what Jesus was going to accomplish. This was the part of his mission characterized by servanthood and sacrifice. All of the things that that crowd of disciples and others said were appropriate, yet the fact that many of that crowd would, in a few days, be calling for Jesus' crucifixion indicates that we often just see the miraculous conquering power of God and we don't look long enough to find his sacrificial love. When's the last time you said, Thank you, Jesus for the hardship that I've just been through. Thank you, Jesus, for the fact that I've been rejected and scorned by so many because I'm living a Christ-like life. Thank you, Jesus, for the persecution that I experience at the hands of those who don't see the big picture. Has he done that recently? It's, it's easy to praise God for the miraculous power, not so easy to praise him for sacrificial love. So Jesus' arrival at Jerusalem was the climax of this big picture of his mission as the Messiah. The fact that Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey as king of peace sends the signal about what the big picture is. That big picture is the arrival of God's peace, God's shalom. It's the arrival of a new kind of a king and a new kind of a kingdom. It's the arrival of a new kind of temple and a new kind of chosen people. And that would be us. The crowd of disciples around Jesus weren't the only ones who didn't see the big picture, though. Let's pick up the story again in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jesus wept over it and said, If you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. I picked up particularly on phrases from verses 42 and 44. If they had been able to recognize what would bring you peace, but now it's been hidden from your eyes, and that you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. What sad, tragic phrases those are 
talking about blindness, the failure to recognize what should have been obvious. There were two groups then who were blind to God's coming. The first are the Pharisees. They were blind to the truth of these shouts of praise and the big picture that Jesus had come to proclaim, that he was a king of peace. There's one word you could use to describe these Pharisees, that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, and that word is fear. As they see Jesus coming with a scores and scores of people following him, singing his praises. They are fearful because they're afraid that this coronation procession, and that's exactly what it was, this coronation procession would bring down the wrath of the Romans. If you pronounce yourself king, Jesus, you're going to get in trouble because the Romans already have a king. (laughs) Fearful that it's going to bring down the wrath of the Romans upon them. This is why they rebuke the singing of these disciples. But sorry, boys, there's no silencing this chorus of praise, is there? The other group are Jerusalem, the people of the citizens of Jerusalem, whose blindness brings Jesus to tears. What breaks the heart of Jesus? What breaks the heart of of God. What brings Jesus to tears? Time and time and time again, Jesus had been met with Jerusalem's hostility, with their mockery, with their threats, with their duplicity, with their conspiracies. Time and time and time again, Jesus had experienced the results of their blindness from Herod's death squads that had pursued him in Bethlehem to Caiaphas, the high priest in his kangaroo court later that week, to Pilate's arrogant cowardness. Cowardice. Jerusalem, the city of God, had been blind to Jesus. They had been blind to the Son of God. They had been blind to God himself. And the consequences of Israel's tunnel vision was the complete destruction of Jerusalem and its temple 40 years later by the Romans. Everything that Jesus predicted would come to pass because they had been blind. They didn't recognize that Jesus was their true king. Jesus was the only one in that crowd that day who saw the big picture. So despite our ubiquitous cameras and media interconnectedness, we're still at risk of missing the big picture, aren't we? How shall we avoid the tragedy of not recognizing God's appearance in our lives and in our world? The word we use to describe this big picture vision is discernment. Discernment. The discipline, the spiritual discipline, the prayer discipline of discernment begins with the desire to recognize and delight in the voice and the will of God. Do you desire to see the world through God's eyes? Do you desire to recognize God's ways? his upside-down ways? 
Do you desire to see beneath the surface of the events in your own life so that you can see what God is doing in you and through you? Do you desire to see the big picture? Discernment comes by praying. Discernment comes by praying. I'm reminded of Paul's prayer for the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. Where he prays that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. For years, that was my life verse. One of the few verses in the Bible that I was able to memorize (laughs) because I said it every day. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. Do you desire to know what's best? Good, better, best, never let it rest until your good is better and your better is best. Do you desire to know God's best? That you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ? Do you desire to be pure and blameless in the eyes of God? Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, do you desire to be filled with the fruit of righteousness? I want to be known by the fruit of the Spirit on display in my life. What do I need to do today, Father, to make that happen? Discernment comes by praying. Discernment comes by taking time to listen to God rather than hurrying to make a decision. I am one of the most impatient people that you will ever meet. It infects just about every area of my life. I want to get there fast. But God is slowly but surely teaching me to slow down, stop, and especially to listen before I make decisions, before I make choices. I wonder if that's not why Jesus so often went off by himself to pray. Not in a hurry. Oh, the disciples were in a hurry. (laughs) But Jesus would go off to listen to his heavenly Father so that he could discern what the next step was going to be. Discernment comes by taking time to listen to God. Discernment comes by attending to the desires that God has planted deeply within you. 
do you still desire what you did when you were five or six years old? I hope not. <laughs> Do you still desire what you desired when you were 15? Oh, please, Lord, spare us from that. God plants desires in our hearts so that he can give them to us. If I'm only asking for what David Shaw desires, I can pretty much guarantee God's not going to give me that. But if I desire what God desires for me, that's a 100% prayer, folks. That's going to be answered. So discernment comes from attending to the desires that God has planted deeply within us. I think about Jesus' commitment to only do and to only say what his heavenly Father told him to do and to say. Those were his deepest desires. His food was to do the will of his heavenly Father. That's how much he cared about God's desires within him. I think about him in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Those were temptations, real temptations to a real human being. And yet Jesus, even at the beginning of his ministry, desired not what the devil was willing to tempt him with, but he desired what his heavenly Father had for him. And he said, it is written. Discernment comes by attending to the desires that God has planted deeply in us. Discernment comes by paying attention to the patterns in the way that God has directed our lives. God is always doing a new thing. But if you pay attention over the course of years and decades, we begin to discover some patterns in our lives. Ways that God tends to use us. Situations where we become passionate, others where we're not. We pay attention to the patterns that God has been building in our lives. I think about one of the patterns in Jesus' life. Who were the people that he brought healing to? Obviously, sick people. But it was more than just those who were lame or blind or crippled or dead. Jesus performed miracles for people who were ostracized, who because of their illness, because of their deformity, were not a part of the community, weren't able to keep up with those that were keeping the law. Jesus showed his attention to the last, the least, the lost, and the dead. That was just one of the patterns that Jesus personified. God had come for the last the least, the lost, and the dead. Are you a part of that group? Come on, let's see a show of hands. <laughs> Jesus was a servant who came to sacrifice, who came to reach out to those who needed God the most, the most desperate ones. Unfortunately, that's a pattern that the Pharisees completely missed, wasn't it? 
because they were only interested in those that could keep up. So discernment comes by paying attention to the patterns in the way God has directed our lives. We see the big picture that Jesus was embodying. We see that big picture through prayer and the word of God. I found a good prayer in recent years that helps us to open our eyes to that big picture. It's written by Adele Calhoun, a woman that I know and respect tremendously. Her prayer is, Lord, I am willing to receive what you give, to release what you take, to lack what you withhold, to do what you require, and to be who you desire. Isn't that a tremendous, humbling, dangerous prayer? I'm willing to receive what you give. God gives us a lot of things, many of which probably we don't recognize, many of which are probably unexpected gifts, maybe even unwanted gifts. But are we willing to receive what God gives? Are we willing to release what you take? I've heard an awful lot of people in the last few years talk about the things that God has taken away, including loved ones. Are we willing to release what God takes? Are we willing to lack what you withhold? Like Jesus and those two disciples that went to fetch the donkey, God may not give us everything we need to know for the next 10, 15, 20 years of our life. God may instead have us walk one day at a time. Am I willing to lack what you withhold? To do what you require? and to be what you desire. Discernment comes through praying, prayers like that, prayers like that one from Philippians chapter 1. But discernment also comes from saturating ourselves in the word of God. Jesus knew it inside out. From the time he was a young, young boy, He had been taught to memorize the word of God. He had been taught to ponder and meditate and contemplate the word of God. He, like so many other Israelite children, had memorized most of the scriptures, if not all of them. And so Jesus was well equipped to be able to reach back to Zechariah and say, that's the prophet that described how, what kind of a king I am to be. 
Jesus was able to reach back throughout time, throughout Scripture, and help us to begin to realize that the Word of God, the story of God, is the story that begins in Genesis chapter 1 and doesn't end until Revelation chapter 22, right? Are we saturating ourselves with the whole story of God? Are we finding the the threads and the themes that weave their way throughout that entire long story? Are we able to recognize the story of God? I'd like us to say together this creed, this distilled version of the story of God. Let's read this together. We believe that God is love. We believe God the Father is for us. Ladies. Men who created and called the human race to be and to bear his image in the world. We are his chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. The authority of the living word, the transforming power of every means of grace. We believe God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth, is with us. The climax of the story of Israel, the fulfillment of God's promises to his people, the catalyst for the launching of God's renewed people from among the last the least, and the lost. In the very nature of God, he made himself nothing, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Resurrected on the third day, the firstborn from among the dead, the embodiment of God's very present kingdom over against all others, exalted by the Father to the highest place, that we who participate in his sufferings might also share in his resurrection life, both now and forevermore. We believe God, the Holy Spirit, is in us. The seal of God's ownership, a deposit, Guaranteeing what is to come. The advocate who will guide us into all truth, empowering us for worship, community, and ministry, that we, the Church of Jesus Christ, throughout all time, and in all places may be brought to complete unity. May God be glorified in us, both now and for all eternity. These truths we live, to these truths we bear witness.
All of that is developed in the story that God tells us from Genesis to Revelation. All of that is contained in Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. All of that is the truth of God that we ought to saturate our lives with if we want to be able to discern what God is doing in our lives in our world. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, this is such a tragic story looking at it from the point of view of the Pharisees and the people of Jerusalem. People who obviously didn't get the big picture. But Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the story as it's recorded in the Gospels. The story of an infinite, eternal God who became a human being and faithfully discerned his heavenly Father's will and taught through parables and teachings and miracles and lifestyle what it meant to be a part of the kingdom of God who desired more than anything else to do his Father's will even though that will meant being rejected and beaten and crucified. Lord, we are willing. We are willing to receive what you give, to release what you take, to lack what you withhold, to do what you require and to be who you desire. Lord, we pray that this week, as we are so cognizant of these stories, the last days of Jesus' earthly life, Lord, we pray that as you remind us of these events, of these truths, of these stories, Lord, that you would also help us to discern what you want to do in us and what you want to do through us. Lord, this is a precious time of year. Yes, full of Easter eggs and bunny rabbits, but Father, also a precious opportunity for your Holy Spirit to fill these stories with your grace, your revelation, your transformation. Lord, if you can use us this week to proclaim the truth, to live the truth, we invite you to do that. May you be glorified in everything that we say, everything that we do, everything that we think. We want to lift you up. That everybody, whether they've got a smartphone or cable TV or not, will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords who loves us. Who loves us. In Christ's name we pray and all of God's people say,